a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 73 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.StarWarsReport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here, let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Hurlman, and with me like the master to every Sith apprentice, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Everything is going as I have foreseen. Kind of. Maybe. What is- How's it going, Nathan? Uh, It is going well. Uh, We are recording this on uh, Mother's Day, which of course is Samuel L. Jackson's favorite holiday. Uh, (laughs) If you don't get it, think about it. Think about those snakes on a plane. Um, And at this point, we have nine school days left with the students. And what a nine days it is. AP exams and, of course, testing going on uh, longer than anyone expected because of computer problems last week final exams. It's kind of make or break time in a lot of ways uh, for the students and in a sense for the teachers, really. Um, so I, I, it'll be nice to finally wrap up this next few weeks and have some breathing space before the the wedding and all. Nice. Yeah, I've got three days. Yep. Three days, Whistler, and I'm out of here and you get the whole studio to yourself. I'll be off in Disneyland uh, enjoying a week down there. So I'm all excited about that. Uh, you know, real quick, a couple things. Uh, I, I want to throw a quick apology out there. Nathan, you were actually right in the uh, two episodes back of our feedback episodes. Uh, Eli was the fan's name, not not uh, Alicia. I was ha! totally wrong. Yes, yes. He changed his profile picture, and now I realize that I have been mistaking his girlfriend for him. And I apologize profusely for that, good sir. <laughs> and uh, about that happens to me all the time. Everybody keeps coming up to me and asking to see my tattoos. I'm like, nope, that's her. <laughs> nice. Now, uh, you know, we we definitely want to hit that top ten, uh, top ten good and bad. It'll be two separate issues, uh, issues episodes. We're definitely going to be hitting those. They'll be coming out. Uh, I I don't know, Nate. You want to do those next, or do you want to do those a little later? It's up to you, man. I can do whichever. Well, I, I will think about it over the Disney trip, and we will aim to do it. We'll do the worst ones first, and then we'll do the uh, top ten favorites after so that way we leave a, a more positive taste in everyone's mouth when we're done with the duology of them uh, uh, so yes. that way that feedback's there and, and i've noticed though that we've been getting quite a bit of feedback already uh you know so we may have another feedback episode here in the next couple weeks as well when i get back maybe we have to do something like that too now another thing i was pondering and, and we were talking about a little bit before the show was how Star Wars, you know, we were just talking about Prelude to Rebellion, which was the volume one of Dark Horse's ongoing Star Wars line, which later became Republic, and then is now being toted as Dark Times, as 108th is the, the beat Marvel run issue and all that, but now we've got Star Wars Volume 2, and it's like, wait, isn't technically Star Wars Volume 1 still running? I mean, that's just, that's a little crazy. Yeah, that's what they claim. They claim that it is. Um, you may recall back on, what was it, Part 3, I guess it was, of Fire Carrier, it touts it as being the 108th issue and makes a big deal of that. Uh, personally, I'm waiting to see someone really break the record. The Marvel series, yeah, the main series was 107 issues, but it was actually more like 114, not counting the Star comic stuff, because you had three annuals, you had the Return of the Jedi miniseries. To me, when a Star Wars series reaches the point where it breaks 114, that's when it's really time to celebrate a long-run of a series with, you know, the different creative teams and whatnot. And I got to hand it to Dark Horse, at least. They've been very consistent when it comes to uh, the quality of most of the series. That doesn't mean that they're all great. The ones like Dark Times that are kind of meh have stayed kind of meh. Uh, But they don't seem to have as many fluctuations in the really good and the godly awful um, that we got with some of the the Marvel stuff, having now reread so much of it. And I guess we're sort of covering part of that Star Wars ongoing series this time because I seem to recall that back whenever 
they were doing the whole uh, shift from Star Wars with no subtitle to calling it Star Wars Republic, wasn't that around the time that they were claiming that Empire was not just a new Star Wars series, but that Empire was like a split, that Star Wars Ongoing was splitting kind of in half? Yeah. And one yes. of them was going to be Clone Wars era and be Republic, and the other half was going to go into the Rebellion era and be Empire, which of course became Rebellion? Yeah, I, I recall something along those lines as well, that, that that's exactly what happened, and then that one shifted, because it, it felt like we had the one, and then it divided, and then during that divide, they threw in KOTOR, and they're like, oh, and then we got the stuff in the way back era, for you that like that stuff way in the back, oh, yes, please, thank you, uh, and that was an exciting time. So, what are we covering this time around, based on a character from Luke's whining? <laughs> Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we look at Dark Horse Comics' 2007 installment, Star Wars Rebellion. This week's episode focuses on issues 0 through 5, My Brother, My Enemy. Now consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go. Now, real quick, uh, I have this in trade paperback. Nathan, I'm sure you probably have this all in singles, right? Right. Now, I do have the Zero issue, which also had a KOTOR Zero issue on the flip side. I don't know if that was a free comic day or where I got that one, but I did notice that in my trade, the Zero issue was also collected in that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I got to admit, though, I mean, I, I don't have many trades, uh, but the ones that I do have, they make me realize that I really enjoy the trade format. And I do have some omnibuses, and I've I've read them very often. The omnibuses almost feel overwhelming because of how big they are. It's like, wow, you grab an omnibus, it's like reading an actual Star Wars EU book. It's like, oh, you're committed to this. Uh, these trade paperbacks, they're much longer, and, and and it's the whole story all contained. And I like the satisfaction in that. I mean, when we have these episodes and we record it and we pull out and I have my singles and I read each one, I enjoy – reading each one as the entire arc. So reading it from the trade paperback standpoint, I, I think the trade paperbacks for me is the much more fulfilling way of going about reading it. I really get more of a kick. The omnibuses, I like the way that they fit on my shelf, but they can feel a little more overwhelming. Um, this one, though, they, they slipped a couple uh, cover illustrations in the back and stuff. I really thought those were kind of cool. There were some nice covers in there. So that's nice because that was one of the one things that I don't like when they collect them is when you lose those covers and those letters to the editors, all those little gems that you get like that. So uh, I just want to throw that out there real fast before we jump into the meat of this. Yeah, I like the Omnibuy or Omnibus editions, whatever, mainly because if you're trying to go back and reread a lot of old stuff, it's a good way to get it all in one place. Um, that's how I recently went back and reread all the Marvel stuff for the From the Star Wars Library videos, which we should by the way, start having pages up for those on StarWarsReport.com in the near future to kind of categorize and, and, and catalog the ones that are already out there. Um, and it worked well for, say, uh, Ewoks and Droids. Makes for good bathroom reading, I must say. Uh, speaking as a guy with uh, <laughs> IBS, I do a lot of bathroom reading. Um, but you're right. The one thing that gets missing a lot of times are the little tidbit uh, things that stand out, like the letters pages. One of the cool things I did, and this has been, gosh, years ago. I can't even remember what show it was for. I can't remember if it was for one of my shows or for Star Wars Action News or what. Um, but I had gone through and read tons and tons of the speculation that fans were writing in about leading into the different Star Wars films back in the letters pages of the Marvel stuff to kind of compare that to the hype and all the speculation around the Star Wars films uh, as they were coming out, you know, from 99 up until 2005. And, you know, it's it's... It's weird to see some of the speculation out there, but it's funny because sometimes they'll speculate something that doesn't come true in the films themselves, only to wind up later showing up as an element of the EU somewhere. It makes for some kind yes. of cool, um, I don't even know what's the, what's the word you're look, what, what I would be looking for term-wise. It's almost like cultural anthropology for uh, Star Wars fandom, to see how the <laughs> culture itself has grown, like that uh, Using the Force Creativity Community and Star Wars fans book out there by... Uh, uh, Will Brooker. But yeah, this is an interesting story. The story we're looking at this time is My Brother, My Enemy, and it's the first story arc, the first five issues, plus the Crossroad Zero issue, technically, of Rebellion. And I guess we need a little bit of a preface to this. Um, 
we're coming into this story kind of in media res. A longer mega story arc, a maxi arc, whatever you want to call it, um, has already been going on focusing on Janik Sunberg. We never got an answer to who Tank was in, that's what you said when Biggs and Tank left, back in A New Hope, from 77 until 2004. Sort of. In 2004, we were introduced to Lieutenant Janik Sumber in the story To the Last Man in the pages of Empire. And later on in the pages of Empire, uh, in 2005, we got a story set on Jabim called In the Shadows of Their Fathers, one of my favorite titles for any Star Wars story. And it basically put Luke Skywalker on Jabim, dealing with, among other things, their attitude towards him and his family line, thanks to Anakin being there during the Clone Wars back in Republic. Yeah, that, that's one of the, my favorite Republic stories, too, is, is the one that it refers back to with Anakin. Great story. Yeah, here's hoping it actually winds up staying in. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers on that. Um, we do wind up, then, after just one kind of oddball issue... Uh, jump from In the Shadows of Their Fathers in Empire to the last Empire story arc, which was The Wrong Side of the War. And it's during this that we see Dina Shan wind up uh, at least somewhat hooking up with Kale Rocher, who is an Imperial officer. Uh, she and Luke are undercover. She'd been introduced back in Idiot's Array, which is another um, Empire issue. And... Uh, it basically puts Luke and her undercover trying to free slaves that have been taken from Jabim as a result of In the Shadows of Their Fathers. And among the different captives that have been taken are Joran Sol, uh, a rebel operative uh, who knows the hyperspace routes and the calculations and such for the fleet. And you have an individual by the name of Tao Hiss, who was with the, the Jabimi uh, officers and such. And in the while they're trying to save Joran, they run into the slaves, realize that they can save the slaves too, but this puts Luke face-to-face -face with Lieutenant Janik Sunber, who he recognizes as Tank. And this conversation ensues where they talk about Biggs, their mutual friend, having died uh, heroically for the rebellion uh, during the battle with the Death Star, etc., 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 setting up this conflict of old friends that picks up here with rebellion. So... Between Idiot's Array, In the Shadows of Their Fathers, To the Last Man, and then that culminating arc of Empire, The Wrong Side of the War, the ground has been laid for the zero-issue crossroads, which is sort of a, a recap, and then My Brother, My Enemy, which of course is issues one to five here. So we're looking at probably the coolest part of this long story arc, um, but bear in mind that this is not something that should probably be read on its own. You probably should go back and check out those earlier things from Empire, otherwise a lot of the, the, the background knowledge that you need to understand the situation um, will kind of be lost on you. Rebellion Zero does a decent job of recapping it, but you really probably ought to read the stories themselves. I find it's actually it's fun with comics especially to go and you know jump into something like this, read it, get a good feel for the story, and then go back, read those other stories, and figure out all the background of the characters, and then go back to these, reread it again, and you're like, Oh, wow. You know, th there's a lot of things that were right there in your face the whole time that, you you know, because you hadn't read the earlier stories, you didn't have a clue, things like that. Um, I, I, I like this one. I go back and forth on the illustration. I mean, some of the stuff I really like, some of it I'm kind of like, eh, they look a little off. I really, though, I like Tank's character. I really think they did a good job of, of bringing that character to life and, you know, giving a depth to the look of the character that made him someone that you could kind of want to root for. Uh, I, I remember in the last one, uh, the last arc before this, when, you know, Luke threw that Biggs was a hero of the rebellion, not of the empire. Cause tank was throwing Biggs out there. It's like, even he went and joined. It was like, no man, he, uh, was, he, he was on our side, dude. He, he died for us. I loved how that impacted the character throughout this story. I mean, there's moments where he is second guessing and he's questioning, you know, Hey Biggs, uh, you know, I, did you die a hero? I really hope you did. You know, he's like, Biggs, you were a brother to me. Were you at peace when you died? Did you go satisfied your sacrifice was worthy? For your sake, I hope so. But if that's true, what does that say about the path I've chosen? I mean, I, I really like how his character is conflicted. And you don't know whether or not he is going to do the right thing for us, the reader, or the right thing for the Empire. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of the, the classic, you know, do you follow your orders or do you follow what's right type of... Uh of internal conflict that we see with plenty of stories, you know, throughout literary history, comics, and whatnot, 
but it's something that in this case, I think it gives us more of a, uh, a feeling of suspense. Because while we may know that Tank has this tie to Luke, and we may have known that Tank existed for many, many years, nothing really had been said about him. So it really is a wild card here. One of the few things linking back to the films themselves, the classic trilogy that was unexplored, so it really could have gone any direction uh, within the course of this story, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, I guess as we go kind of issue to issue here, one thing I should point out is that this is a series, or this is a, a story arc that has shifting creative teams. If you include Crossroads, Crossroads is written by Thomas... Andrews. That's issue number zero. Thomas Andrews is a, a pen name for Jeremy Barlow, who's the associate editor on the Star Wars books oh. at the time. Very much like you've got Randy Stradley writing as Mick Harrison and Wells Hartley, the guy who introduced Janet Sumber to us back into The Last Man and such, I believe. Um, Art-wise, it is uh, Michael, or M-I-C-H-E-L Lacombe, L-A-C-O-M-B-E, doing the art in issue number zero and doing the art in issue number three. But then the rest of the artwork is being done by Brandon Badeau, B-A-D-E-A-U-X, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, and the writing of one through five is Rob Williams. So we get kind of a handoff of writing, but not in the middle of My Brother, My Enemy, just from Crossroads, sort of the prelude to it, to My Brother, My Enemy. But art-wise, I gotta say, uh, the art by Badeau is both intense and awesome and sometimes overdone. Everybody's muscles stick out like they're crazy tense all the time. It's kind of creepy the one moment where Dina is hitting on Luke and you see her from side view and like what her, her, her body looks like from the side view and just the tense amount of muscle. She's either ungodly anorexic or her muscles are just fried out the wazoo. Um, but, it does make for sort of that intense, very dynamic, splash page type of art that you would see maybe in, say, um, uh, the early 90s work of people like uh, Rob Liefeld uh, or Jim Lee, people like that. The people who were behind Image Comics early on. Uh, that kind of art style, yeah. it's, it really fits the story. It gives the story an intensity and a sense of chaos sometimes. And then you get to issue number three, and it's like, what the hell am I looking at? All of a sudden, the artwork changes so substantially that you don't even feel like you're reading the same story anymore. And that was a, 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 an artistic groin pull, so to speak, that I ran into when reading these as individual issues, both originally and going back and rereading them now. I can only imagine how someone with an omnibus or with a trade paperback reading this story is going to feel turning the page from issue two to issue three and it being completely different artwork to the point where you got to wonder if certain characters are who you think they are. Yeah. I mean, that, that was one of the issues I had was like, okay, where does one issue start and the other one end? Because uh, it definitely goes like that. Uh, I, I will say though, I love one of the things I love is most all of the exterior space shots, um, all the ships and stuff like that, all, all the scenery inside the, the star destroyers and the super star destroyer, I, I just I love how that all is done. I, I but the characters, yeah, you got it nailed 100 percent there. They get really big and and bulky and buff. Now, when it gets into issue number three, is that right after? Uh, is that when Vader shows up and and then we go to uh, Dina on in the frigate in the hangar bay? Is that where the one starts? Because that's the downside about these trades is you don't know when one starts and one ends. And then there's the other side of it. Sometimes they take them out of order, and I'm. OCD in the aspect of I like to read a series going one, two, three, four, five, six, and I don't like it when it goes one, two, thirty-three, four, five, seven. It's like, come on! Now the switch here, it's issue number three begins after Joran Soul breaks free and is trying to strangle Dina. And then it picks up, or issue number four then picks up right after uh, Dina runs into Rocher again. It's that I mean, and you can see if you flip through the issues, you'll get to a point where the artwork just fundamentally changes. Um, and it looks like it's a completely different story. Okay. I see what you say in the, in the flashback there. Yeah. Every guy. Yeah. Cause everything gets kind of rounded out and cartoony and, and Jordan looks kind of like Gollum. Uh, you know, the, the one dude with the, uh, yeah, the, the little spy master kind of yeah. has like a Yoda. Tongo Lee looks so different that you can't even tell if it's the same character between yeah. the two artists. It's kind of ridiculous. And I, I'm assuming this is just because. 
maybe they hit a point where the schedule was running behind it instead of doing what they had been doing back in, say, the late 90s, where if they were behind, they just would, you know, not get the issue out on time. Maybe they grabbed a filler artist to come in for that issue so that Badeau could finish up the last two. But, yeah, it is sort of a a throwing thing. But I guess if we start with number zero, zero is the oddball. Zero is told in first person by Tao Hess, the Jabimi loyalist, who wound up essentially betraying them and got so many Jabimi taken as prisoners. It retells essentially what happened back in uh, in the shadows of their fathers. And we find that in order to try to essentially make up for what he has done, he winds up finding a way to impersonate a stormtrooper until he winds up being captured. But he manages to see that confrontation between Luke and Tank and thinks, hey, you know, everything's going to be okay. Joran's soul has been saved. Only, of course, for us to know that uh, Joran's soul's role in the Empire's plot to decimate the Rebellion has only begun, as the last panel says. So it really is just kind of a recap and a setup. It's very much like the uh, A Galaxy Torn by War kind of opening newsreel that you get with the Clone Wars. Short and sweet, but useful for new readers. Very useful. I mean, when, when you think about, you know, where it goes with, with Dina's character, and I, I love that last panel. I mean, the way his eyes look, it's like, okay, is he bad? Like, I mean, you, it totally sells it. it you, everything is thrown into question in that moment. You're like, ooh, he's gnarly. Issue number one of Rebellion slash My Brother, My Enemy then starts out with an interesting flashback where we get to see uh, Luke talking to Owen Lars right before his buddies show up, uh, Tank and Biggs, and, you know, they're like, hey, you want to come play? And they do what in the movie would be perhaps maybe a, a blending or one uh, one image fading out so the next one can fade in, where they're so similar that you see, like, the transformation of a character, because you have old Janik Sunber as Tank, and then it fades, so to speak, as you move from one panel to the next, into Janik Sunber as the Imperial officer, as the lieutenant in this massive battle. And this is the issue that gives us the first of our two-page spreads that Badeau does so well to show us um, the battlefield. What's probably most interesting to me about this one, with uh, pretty much is just following mostly Sunber's own battle, at least for the first half, is this concept that when a, uh, a Thai bomber is shot down and crashes into an ATST, the wreckage is flopping its way towards Sunber, and he thinks he's going to die. And instead, it's like it hits in front of him, and as it continues to roll, it goes over his head, smashing into the background, essentially giving him this sense that, you know, he's he's there for a reason, that maybe he's the one who's there to stop Luke Skywalker somehow. You know, is he maybe chosen by fate in that sense? Um, and then the rest of it pretty much just... Uh, goes into the interrogation of a rebel prisoner by Sunber, um, where, where he learns more about what happened with Luke Skywalker and the fact that Luke was the one who blew up the Death Star and whatnot, which is something that, of course, Vader already knows at this point. Otherwise, that would be some continuity issues. So that he winds up meeting with Vader by the end of the issue, essentially willing to provide information that, you know, he knows Luke and that maybe, maybe he can be the key to trapping him. Um, I really like the fact that that first story doesn't do what I expected it to do. I expected the first issues, and it's called Rebellion, to jump and follow Luke and Leia and them and just kind of be the standard old story in this era. And instead, it sticks with Sunbrew, who got depth back in the previous series, Empire, and doesn't do any of that uh, fan service stuff to jump to the other characters. It doesn't do what Death Troopers does and said, hey, we gotta throw in Han and, and uh, Chewbacca just to remind you that we know these are the major characters of this era. It takes a risk, and I think it played out well. Yeah, it really feels like it, it could be, you know, Tank's rebellion. You know, you, you mentioned the TIE fighter scene, and that is one of my favorites. I mean, as it's flipping around, at some point it picks up one of the stormtroopers, and the stormtroopers stuck between the cockpit and the bomber bay. I just love it. And I mean, the the dialogue there, you know, I mean, he's talking to Luke, and he goes, We all wonder in our quieter moments, maybe late at night, in the still between sleep and waking, we all question what the moment of our death will feel like. Will I scream? Will I cry? Will I be overcome by precious regret and terror? What will my final thought be, we wonder? 
and Luke, I find to my amazement, I think of you. And something speaks to me in this frozen moment. Something whispers strange secrets in my ear and promises me that I will survive. And this is the moment that it's flipping over him, that I will live through this impossible instance. And I will do so for a purpose. And then, you know, he's, it flashes back to that last story and all that, like you said, and gets to the point where he's questioning everything. And that's where you're like, okay, he definitely has anger, but you start to question, is the anger more so at Luke, like he is saying, or as, as it gets that last panel, is it more that he has chose the wrong side? And by seeing Luke, the stark reality of his situation is now for the first time there and he's able to see through the veil and see it for the nasty painting that it is. And you get this sense that he's sort of wrapped up in, I mean, he's wrapped up in that question throughout the entire five issues here. Uh, when he is interrogating the rebel prisoner, the prisoner says, you know, uh, we'll stop you just like Luke Skywalker stopped your Death Star. At which point, Sumber says, what? How do you know that name? That name? That's the name of the man who destroyed the Death Star. That's the name of the man who's going to lead us to victory over the entire Galactic Empire. It's the name that's got your Imperial Army scared. Luke Skywalker. At which point Janet punches him, saying, shut up, and just keeps beating on him. And you get this narrative from inside Janet Sumber's head, where he says it can't be true. No, Luke's just a member of the Rebellion. He's no hero, because if it's true and Luke is the pilot who blew up the Death Star, then that would mean the universe is mocking me. And it just kind of continues on... From there, where he, you get a sense from the first issue that he's conflicted, but there's no real indication of which way he's going to sway. Um, but yeah. the fact that he goes to Vader providing information, that certainly appears that he is leaning more towards his Imperial roots or his Imperial duty. But since it's the first issue, it still leaves up in the air this idea of maybe his mind will change because that seems to be the whole conflict that the series is setting up. Yeah, and again, it gets it gets some great artistry. When when that rebel trooper says Luke's name, though, is, is that like one of the first times the Empire has heard that name? I mean, granted, the new Star Wars kind of gives you a feel that, that Vader just kind of had the, the name rise to the surface, but I, I don't know the story there. How did Vader figure it out, or, or how did the Empire figure it? Well, you've got uh, Vader's quest in which he learns the name Skywalker. And then immediately after Vader's quest, still in that about two months after era, you get the new series, Star Wars Volume 2. Then after that, you presumably get Dark Lord's Gambit, which is the one in which he, in the, in the Marvel series, where he finds out that it's Luke Skywalker. So for months, he at least has known. And that, that you know, makes sense given that he says, you know, that's the name that has the Imperial Army scared. It's just the question of, you know, how widespread was the news? Remember back in To the Last Man, they made a point of the idea that even though the Death Star had been destroyed, people like Sunbur out uh, on Meridun hadn't really heard much about what was actually going on in the broader galaxy. So even if the rest of the Empire might have heard the name, maybe Sunbur himself hasn't run into it in connection with the Death Star before. I mean, I think it still holds solid. As long as the new series doesn't somehow have him learning too much too soon, Vader that is, learning too much too soon, then at least that element does not seem to be tossed or or endangered yeah, in by volume two. Oh, nice well you know and, and continuing like you say it, it seems like he could go either way i think that that's mainly because i i think us the reader we're really hoping that tank does the right thing in sides with luke i, I mean I, at least that's where i come from because it kind of to me it feels like it plays out that it's not going to be pretty for luke i mean he, he's sitting there in bed after he beat that that rebel soldier and he's like he's my friend my childhood friend. I can't betray him. No. He's a criminal, an enemy of the Empire. What if he's right? Stop it! What if What if he and Biggs chose the right side? What if I made the wrong choice? What if my entire adult life is a mistake? Shut up! No. That can't be. That can't be true. I'm trying to end this war. I'm helping to bring peace to the galaxy. I'm not evil. I'm a good man. A good officer. An officer who holds important background knowledge of the hero of the rebellion. And this is where it's all big. You know, his eye is big. And inside his eye, you see the shuttle, the little Lambda shuttle flying away. And he's like, Luke, I'm sorry. And then, you know, that's where he goes to Vader. And I, I mean, 
I have this feeling like it's Braveheart, you know, when this is all going down. Like Luke gets the information that that there's a message sent to him from a, a lieutenant tank, you know, and he's just like, oh, it's my buddy. But everybody's like, it's a trap. And you're just like, it's a trap, dude. Don't do it. Don't do it, William Wallace. Come back. And that brings us, I guess, into issue number two, where we pick up aboard a rebel frigate. We have Dina Shan just getting drunk over the whole issue of how she's, he, she fell for Roshur back in the wrong side of the war. And, of course, now they're on opposite sides. And, and she's just kind of, kind of drowning her sorrows, so to speak. We get an awesome raid, again, another two-page splash to start it off, of rebels onto a ship to get cargo, which includes some really cool new uh, suits for the rebels that look kind of like black stormtrooper suits, like black holes stormtrooper type suits, yeah. very similar. Um, and we get to meet, as as you mentioned, the message that's being sent by Tank is going through all these uh, ch- channels to get to him, and we get to meet characters who will play a bigger role later in the Ahakista Gambit, not one of my favorite stories of this series, um, raise the information broker and the rebel spy amongst his organization, Will Tarson who play a little bit more of a role as the series goes on, but certainly, or as this miniseries goes on, certainly more as uh, the broader story arcs go on. We get to see Luke dealing with the issues about Tank, um, clashing with Leia a little bit about the whole issue. We get to see Dina try to put the moves on Luke, and Luke tries to give her, you know, something, you know, something that will somehow give her a duty that she can do without feeling like a failure, but at the same time, kind of let, trying to let her down easy as much as he can. Apparently, you know, he doesn't want to hook up with her, although he seems like he's perfectly okay to hook up with that one pilot in Volume 2. Um, but uh, they wind up, of course, with that message arriving from Tank, but the issue ends and sets up the bizarre art change in, in issue number three, with Dina supposedly looking after Joran's soul and these other survivors, only for Joran to have broken out and come at her trying to essentially garrot her to death, trying to choke her to death. And has this great last image where you've got, uh, he's grabbing her and choking her, but what's actually seen of them is basically just up to her neck with him behind her, and the actual action, her expression and his expression and whatnot, is shown in the reflection in the water on the floor. Uh, Certainly some dynamic artwork, though if you look at that image, and you look at the image where he's pulling the the uh, the wire tight right before it, or if you look at the image of her trying to get up and kiss Luke, the the musculature of these characters is freaking nuts. I mean, these are ones that um, you would expect us to end with a public service announcement at the end of the issue about how the Star Wars characters are here to pop you up or something. <laughs> We're D9, look, we're here to pump you up with our Jose Rides of the Force with our Medicalorian action. You know, you, you mentioned the armor that the Rebellion had, that the New Republic had. Well, I don't know. I guess they are just the Rebellion at this point still, right? Because it is Rebellion and all. But I love this armor in the aspect of, of cosplay. I mean, you know, the Rebellion and the New Republic, the Rebel Alliance, all that fun jazz really didn't have cool armor. And yet, Bam, here it is. Uh, another quick reference here is we also have Abel's in here, and, and he is a clone from the old Clone Wars era that we see show up. But they don't reference that at all. I mean, he's he's seen with his helmet off, and he's older, so you can't quite really tell he's Jenkins. So there's no real feel that that's who he is. I mean, he's there, so if you're paying attention and you know about him from the earlier stories, you know who that character is. But otherwise, you wouldn't really know anything beyond that there's a character they just named him Abel. I mean, I I love how it's really just that quick and over and you don't have a clue. Um, Getting to Raz, though, uh, there's a character, yeah, I I, I don't really care for either. But when they're all lined up and he's uh, talking to him about the information being stolen, look in the background, there's a Knight Brother with some Darth Maul Knight Brother tattoos. I thought that was kind of interesting, too. I just, I had never noticed that before either. I'm like, oh, how about that? That's, huh. I did not notice that. Cool. That, of course, brings us into issue number three, where things really get going. Sort of the story set up with Tank in the first issue, and Luke and Dina and them in uh, the second issue finally dovetail nicely together. We find that Joran Soul was said to be weak and so forth. We see the, the conflict going on in his head, yeah, he's been sort of programmed by the Empire to destroy the Rebels and whatnot, 
But and that's crazy how that programming works. <laughs> I, I was mean, like, whoa! It's cool that he can find it though. The idea that willpower can overcome it because it, it would have been very easy for him to simply be the programmed man and just walk around them as if everything is okay. And then his programming just kicks in and he does the evil deed. And instead, he's fighting it. He's fighting it from the get-go. And we get to see inside the character's head as he does so. Like, he won't kill Dina um, initially. Then, of course, we wind up finding that uh, Will Tarson, yeah, we learn more about him being a rebel agent, uh, that he has discovered when he is trying to get access to the message from Tank, which he forwards along to the rebels so that Luke can see it, realize that his... Old friend supposedly is in danger. Everybody else thinks that it's a trap. Presumably he knows it's a trap, but he doesn't want to recognize that. And as he heads off to try to go save Tank on his own, Dina, who thinks she's a screw-up, um, basically wants to get in on it and wants to use this as a chance to sort of prove herself and whatnot, uh, both to him and to the other rebels, that she can do this. And she and Luke... Take off. They go to a really cool starship graveyard. Um, it's, yeah. I think it's the, this is the second artist's attempt at doing one of these two-page splash pages, which I'm assuming was in the script as a two-page splash page, because that's something that was set up as it's being written uh, most of the time. Uh, but, yeah, he doesn't do quite the splash page uh, justice the way that Bado had, but it works pretty well. You've got all these old Star Destroyers and stuff from the Clone Wars kind of floating around. We've got a, a Jedi Interceptor floating around out there. Until they get into the black suits that we saw back earlier, get aboard, wind up supposedly rescuing Tank, who of course is not really a prisoner. But we don't know that at the time. We just know that he's being held. And he says, you know, Luke, I'm sorry. You have to get out of here. They intercepted my message. I thought I encoded it, but they know you're coming. It's a trap! Which, of course, while Luke is coming face-to-face with his old friend again, allows Dina to wind up coming face-to-face with Captain Rocher, who, of course, she had fallen for, only for him to later realize that she was a spy, not a loyal Imperial. So that's the issue where things really start to come together. It's just unfortunate that the artwork had to come completely out of left field in order to do it. And I think part of that, part of the, the reason why it feels so weird, especially when we look at the character of Tungo Lee, it just hit me. Tungo Lee, when we see him in issue two, has this helmet on with all these wires, almost like a Cerebro kind of helmet from X-Men, and we see him don that helmet again later on in issue number three, but the first time we see him, he just looks like a regular old dude with long pointy ears, a diamond on his forehead, a la uh, Adam Warlock from the Marvel stuff, uh, post-Infinity Gauntlet and all, Um, and it's just kind of like, who is this guy? When you first see him, it's it would have made sense, I think, more visually as far as continuity goes to let him have the helmet on when we first meet him in issue three. Maybe that's what's throwing me off so much. But yeah, he goes from looking like Yoda to looking like somebody totally different. (laughs) I love the splash page. Uh, The problem I have, though, is I have a hard time buying that that's an Imperial graveyard. I mean, all the ships look pristine. I, I would think that the rebels would be looking for graveyards like this and be ripping off as much as they could. Obviously one of the star destroyers was totally equipped still because when they get on there, there was, it was fully crude, but every one of the ships, they all almost look like they're totally workable. I mean, that, that aspect doesn't really sell it. It just looks like a bunch of nice ships floating in space. And to me, that looks like a pirate's treasure trove. I mean, that, that doesn't seem like a very wise move on the empire's part. But, you know, when we get to the part where Tank is being held up and, and he's in the trap, I, I love the fact that they actually beat him. I mean, you're like, again, you start to question, like, okay, is this part of his plan or did things go away from his plan? And now he is caught up in the rebellion as well. Because, you know, earlier where it was more focused on Tank, now they they step away from it enough that you don't know what he truly thinks. This is true. And I guess I should also mention that those really cool um, black suits that we see the rebel characters in issue number two wear, and we see Luke and Dina wearing in issue number three and onward, um, that are shown in that cool, uh, cover artwork on issue number three. That actually warranted action figures. They did a comic pack of this issue, issue number three, um, with Dina Shan and Luke Skywalker both in that armor, which is uh, one of, I think, two different times they did Luke and Dina figures uh, coming out of either this or Empire, but uh, I think it, it 
it made for some cool figures and it makes for a cool cover. I just don't think the inner artwork lived up to it. But again, that's just me being, I guess, a little bit uh, nitpicky about the whole thing. That moves us into issue number four, which picks up with uh, Joran Soul talking about his experiences and whatnot as an Imperial prisoner. Um, uh, he's being questioned actually by Wedge and Tungo Lee kind of sitting there observing. We cut back and forth from that into Luke and Dina fighting off Rocher and his men. And we basically see uh, Janik slash Tank get another injury shot in the wrist, basically, um, before they finally get out of there. And we get that nice uh, uh, hearkening back to the film with the, uh, open the blast door, open the blast door. So in this case, it's open the door, open the damn door. Very similarly. Uh, it basically is a focused on their escape, uh, the possible death of Rocher, um, though it does not appear that he definitely dies in that particular scene, uh, and Janik finally getting to the rebellion, being taken into custody, um, seeing Ro uh, Tungo Lee's uh, take on the situation in his report, and I gotta say, at that point, again, it's still kind of up in the air what exactly it is that's going on with Tank. Is he really turning rebel or not, because he did call in Vader at the end of issue number one, and it does seem kind of convenient that they were able to find him. But is it a trap or not? Or if it was a trap, is it that Tank, now by setting that trap, was actually using it to get away? Maybe he needed a way to get to the Rebellion and making it look like a trap uh, for the Rebellion was his way to do it without raising a bunch of Imperial flags on himself. They could yeah. pass, pass off defecting as being a prisoner of war. But we get this moment where Luke and Tank run into each other again and start chatting in the hallway, uh, a point at which uh, Tank actually borrows Luke's lightsaber that he hadn't seen before, uh, or at least he hadn't seen it up close before. He'd seen it when Luke deflected a blaster bolt back in Wrong Side of the War, but he's able to turn it on, check it out. You think for a second he might attack Luke, but it's more of a just, he shuts it off and gives it back like, hey, it'll be okay. Um, we see more of his dreams of, of the piling up of bodies thanks to what's happening between Luke uh, and the Empire and so forth. But what gets me about the scene in which Luke and Sunbur are talking has nothing to do with the dialogue. It's the, the outfit that they have Sunbur wearing. If anything in this series screams <laughs> 1990s image comics type artwork, it's that suit. The guy should be in the frickin' X-Men, given the clothing yeah. that he's wearing. Um, that, of course, gives way to us uh, finally seeing Joran Soul uh, being reunited with the Rebellion leadership. And we get one of the coolest twists that I think we sort of saw coming, but at the same time uh, didn't. Uh, it, like, it was one of those things that you could sort of predict, but there were enough things that were up in the air that you're kind of like, well, will this happen? Will it not? What issue will it happen if someone betrays? The last few pages here are one of the biggest uh, tw quasi-predictable twist endings I've seen in a Star Wars comic, and I love the way it plays out over these few pages, particularly with the way the artwork is done. Um, Joran is welcomed back uh, to meet with Leia. She says, you know, we're all so very pleased to have you here among us, where you belong. He has one panel of smiling, and he just yanks out a blaster and blasts Akbar and blasts Leia, injuring but not killing either of them. Uh, Luke jumps in, and as Luke is jumping into the fray against, Zor against Joran, boom, in comes the Imperial fleet with this incredible splash page with Vader looking out the window of the Star Destroyer uh, at the Rebel fleet as other Star Destroyers and TIE Fighters and stuff are coming in all around them. And as Luke is dealing with Sol, who is, is crying and freaking out over the fact that, you know, because of this program, he's disabled the navigational computers, told the Empire everything, so they know where they're going at their next prearranged jump location. There's no way to really get away without doing a random jump. Uh, Luke tries to get himself over to Leia to see how she's doing, only to wind up with Janik Sunber's blaster pointed right at the back of his head. How awesome of an ending was that? I, we haven't yeah. seen an ending that tense in Star Wars in quite a while. It is incredible. Well, and again, if you have the trade, it, it doesn't end there. For me, it goes right into the next page, which, which you know, it, it's a great scene. Uh, getting back to the art style switching, you know, I was complaining about how the junkyard looks so bad in issue three. It didn't, they all look new. As soon as you switch images, the junkyard looks like a junkyard again, and all this, there, there's actual junk floating around. Every one of the ships looks beat up and old. Uh, but on the, the other side of that, though, Issue 3 did a much better job of Luke and Dina in their armor. 
once we get to issue four, suddenly they're both like Magnum PI with their chests like zipped down. I mean, Dina's boobs are hanging out. Luke's got boob window too. It's like, what? But you go back into issue three and they're totally zipped up. They've got the armor chest plate all stitched and tied. But as soon as we get to the next issue, it's like, it's getting a little hot in here. We better just zip this down a little bit for sex appeal. I just find that a little bit funny because you know, all those blaster bolts, those warm up the place. <laughs> yeah, they do. The atmosphere was getting pretty hot. But yeah, when you hit on Tank in his Rebel Alliance gear, I mean, he totally looks like Power Ranger equipped for sure, man. I'm like, what in the heck is going on? And when he has oh, that whole moment with the lightsaber, I'm thinking, is this going to be the Timothy Zahn moment where Luke, like, he's like, careful as he's got it pointing right back at him. I'm like, oh, man, you're so lucky. <laughs> Can you imagine it? Tanks tank in that particular getup, you know, standing there, he reaches behind him, grabs something, or he takes that giant belt buckle that he's already got in the way that it's drawn, pulls it out in front of him, and goes, Gun Dark! And he turns <laughs> into a Power Ranger. <laughs> he's got the d- Gun Dark Zord that he can use. Oh, good lord. <laughs> That's what it is. The trap was actually that somewhere within that, uh, that junkyard of ships, that some of those are actually Zords. They all combine into some big Voltron esque, <laughs> Mighty Morphin Power Rangers esque thing. And and he has just the suit to prove it. It's just that Luke didn't know what to look for. Uh, uh, Gen- there you go. Janik Sunber, the Green Ranger. Right? Yes. He's the one betraying them initially and all that stuff. Wow, I can't believe I remember that from back in the day. Uh, yeah. The not- splash page, though, I, I got to admit, the splash page with Vader, I love that it's tipped at an angle. It's got grittiness to it, but it's also got beauty to the the depth of it all. I mean, it really spans across, and there are a lot of Star Destroyers there. It sets up in that one splash page the oh, frack me moment that Luke is having when the spy says, I, I've given up everything, they know where we're going to be. I mean, that, I think, for me, by the time we get done with you know the trade and everything, you're just like... The sense of despair is equal to the end of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, it definitely leaves you in that, oh God, how could things possibly get worse type of scenario. And as we move into issue five, it kind of does get worse, at least to start with. I mean, he's not just going to say, okay, I'm just kidding and put the blaster away or something like that. I mean, he attempts to take Luke prisoner initially. Um, we get another great splash page, this one of a battlefield, essentially, between TIE fighters and X-Wings and Rebel ships and Star Destroyers and all this stuff. A great splash page again. Makes for a great desktop, too, I'm here to say. <laughs> right, we get this, I mean, it's just great art. Things are just chaotic. The ship is falling apart around them. Um, Luke keeps trying as he's carrying Leia, who Jarenik also wants as a prisoner, uh, as he's carrying Leia... As Tank follows them with a blaster pointed at them, you know, that he keeps trying to convince Tank that this is wrong. You know, Tank says, uh, I'm doing my duty. Your rebellion is tearing the galaxy apart and you are nothing but a criminal. Uh, to which Luke replies, just like Biggs, like Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, they must have been dangerous criminals for your stormtroopers to come to the farm and slaughter them. And when he says, stop it, right before he pistol whips Luke, just the look in his eyes. He's got this, one thing that Bedo is really good at is giving these characters expressions that can be read within their eyes. A lot of times eyes are almost secondary in comics to the rest of the facial features when it comes to giving expressions. Because it's very hard, I guess, to do eyes in a way that really conveys emotion in artwork, especially sequential artwork. And this just nails it. The look on his face is like the, he's almost crazed in a, in a he's at his breaking point. So... You don't know where this could go. Even with him betraying Luke at the end of the last issue, you still don't know where things are going to go with Janik, and that is sort of the the linchpin image for it. Um, So that by the time we get to the end, as they're whooping each other's butts, Luke and and Sunber, to the point where Luke finally is like, you know, kill me if you have to, just please make sure that Leia gets to help, Um, we get back to another of these really cool narratives, you know, in the head of Sunber, and the ship gets blasted. And as the atmosphere is going out and they're sort of being blown out into space, see, see, I remember that from Commander Data. It's not sucked out. It's blown out from back in Next Generation. Um, basically, you've got Janik Sunber, who grabs a, a, a grate, a floor grate, I guess it is, and he's holding on to Leia while he's holding on with his other arm for dear life, and Luke is reaching down to try to save him. And rather than letting Luke save him, he hands Leia's hand up to Luke so he can save her, and then he lets go, and he just kind of tumbles out of sight, and we're not quite sure what's happening. 
by the time Joran Sol, who's kind of fighting again against his memories, against his programming and such, is able to leap the ship to hyperspace to save them, we don't know what's happened to Sunbur. Um, it ends with Luke looking at Leia in a back-to-tank in her skivvies, which I thought was kind of funny because there's a there's a funny moment dealing with Leia in a back-to-tank in her skivvies in Crucible that you guys will get a chance to read in the near future that um, uh, I got a chance to read a, an ebook uh, uncorrected proofs copy of recently. Um, but as he's looking at her and kind of talking about, you know, the casualties and, the, and how we were hurt deeply by it, et cetera, et cetera, how the, the rebellion must come back from this, we also learned that, oh yeah, there was an escape pod detected launching off the ship. And since then, Tank has not returned. So there's a question as to, is it Tank that got on the escape pod? If not, who was it? And if it's Tank, why haven't we seen him yet? I'm really hoping that someone will use the character again, because it's such a great dynamic. But now they're stuck, because so much of the continuity has already been written, at least in, unless they, you know, dash it all to bits with Episode 7. He that, found his way to the Empire of the Hand. <laughs> yeah, something like, like, where could he be? You know, it's kind of one of those things where if he does show up, it's not like he can stay around forever because we never see him again. And if he does show up and something bad happens to him, it's not something Luke ever mentions because all that stuff, of course, has been written well before whatever new stories Tank could be in. But I would love to see Tank come back somehow. You know, it's he's such a dynamic, interesting character that it really kind of stinks that his adventures are pretty much... You know, relegated to just Empire and Rebellion. I love this. One of my favorite classic trilogy-era Star Wars stories ever. Great stuff. And see, and I go back and forth with the art, because the episode, or the issue three art, I liked how the people were drawn a little bit more in that. I mean, granted, sometimes their noses were a little more bulbulous, but I don't know. When Joran shows up on the bridge, I thought he was Luke. I was like, wait a minute, who is this at first, you know? But I love the space battle so much on this one. I mean, when Wedge is out there and, and you know, he's flying, the ship's blowing up around him. He's like, we're getting slaughtered out here. The entire fleet has to jump to hyperspace to the next rendezvous point now. Are you listening, Rebel One? Order the jump. And that's when Joran comes in. He's like, you can't do it. And he's explaining to him what's going on. And, of course, you know, more little character art on the back of the spy master's head. He's got like a matrix little login port. I thought that was kind of funny. Like, wait a minute. Why does he have that? (laughs) But you know, the story is, is awesome here. And I, I, again, I just, I love how the space battle and it goes back and forth between that and Luke and tank fighting. And and meanwhile, you've got Joran going on with his, his own programming and stuff as he's about to push the button and blow up everything. I mean, you're just like, whoa, what is going to happen? I, I just, I like the way the culmination of events all lead up to the moment. And then, you know, you had mentioned how it, it seemed like Tank had kind of let go. I, I was under the impression that he didn't let go, that he lost his grip, that he couldn't hold on anymore. Because after he hands Leia to Luke... Luke's pulling Leia up still, and his hand is one hand on there, and he goes, Luke, I... And then Luke goes, Tank, as his hand's starting to slip, and then the look of panic on Tank's face. I mean, I I really think the Tank lost his grip, that he really was trying to save himself. But that gets into what's so great about this, and about how, you know, the first one sets up a great point of view from Tank's internal monologue, and then they back off enough that you don't really know what his motivations are. I mean, he could have really been trying to save himself there at the end and, and doing the last thing, but the dick moment that he put the gun to the back of Luke's head and was going to do all that throws it all in contrast. It's like, was he, or wasn't he? I, I, I do often think how you uh, mentioned, you know, did he show up somewhere in the escape pod? I truly thought like maybe he would show up somewhere out in, in the bastion area of, of the space, you know, like show up out there and, and be like, you know, I want as little to do with the Alliance and Luke Skywalker as possible kind of one of those scenarios where he's out there doing his own thing and helping the empire grow strong in his own way and kind of coming to his own peace with the accord that has been struck between the Alliance and, and the, the empire. But yeah, it's one of those plot lines that were left completely wide open that I would love to see them go back and, and play with. I would love to see this come back maybe in, uh, in one of those star Wars empire and rebellion novels, like uh, the Leia razor's edge book, you know, where they're doing these, these classic trilogy era books focusing on 
but it's what it's a Leia one, a Luke one, and a Han one, right? Yes, that is correct. There's one of each, and I believe it's in that same order. I mean, give us something like that. We can't really see him come back, at least not to see how things turned out from this in the pages of Star Wars Volume Two, because that's set months earlier, unless it makes a big time jump or something. And yes, I did check with Leland Chi for those who didn't see it on the the Timelines Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash SWTimelineGold. Be sure to, you know, jump onto that one as well. Um, it looked like in issue number five of that one that maybe they had jumped some time or something, That because Wedge mentions the fact that uh, they barely got off of Yavin alive. Um, but apparently that must mean for that mission or for a series of missions, like kind of the stuff we saw early in the Marvel stuff, because... He did confirm that that series is still at two months after the Battle of Yavin and that, you know, we haven't seen a change or anything in the six month or so after Yavin Mark for the actual evacuation of Yavin 4. But with the story set that early relative to this one, he could come back, but he wouldn't be able to be as dynamic a character because we wouldn't see him in the aftermath of this. Give us something like him in the Empire and Rebellion stuff. Maybe give us some more background in Legacy of the One Sith and find that he has left a line of descendants serving the one Sith as pilots or something? Because what if, you know, after this, he disappears and winds up running into Asherod Het, a.k.a. Darth Krayt, and winds up joining his cause somehow? I mean, there's, there's, there's ways you could bring back the character somehow without major continuity issues, but it'd have to be really out there and pretty Clone. creative to pull it off. We got, we, we've cloned him. I mean, there, there's so many different ways they could go about it. Uh, one of the last images that I want to touch on is, uh, you know, after Joran hits the hyperspace button while the bridge is burning around him and he jumps the, the fleet out, uh, the, the, it's the image of Rebel One making the jump. You know, the planets are still stationary and everything is jumping into the lines of hyperspace. And up at the above, you have the, the, the classic panel of what from the cockpit's view, what it looks like. And everything is just tore up. I mean, there's bodies am amidst the rubble of the ship. I mean, it's amazing that they got out of there at all. And and that's, I, I just love that image. It's even though it's not a, a two spread, it's just only on one, but I just, I love it so much. The Christmas, the popping of, of everything that even the flames, the way they're streaking down the ship as it's jumping. I just, I love everything about that. It, it, it adds to that Han Solo and Carbonite moment of the story. I mean, when it ends, the, the, the rebellion is hurt i mean they're scattered they they don't even have really ways to contact each other at this moment the the empire has crippled them in a way that they can only guess at i mean they have no idea how much information joran gave them their worst case scenario was that he had all of it i mean you know you basically this is a reset for the rebellion after this point they have to in a sense start over with a lot of the way that they've been going about things it, it, that's a very dangerous thing when you're in the middle of a huge galactic civil war as they are. And since you mentioned uh, artwork, I guess one last comment about the artwork for me would be that the covers of this series, uh, done by Badeau, sometimes with uh, Johnson with him, but we've got some really cool covers for this series, including two of, again, sort of my favorite uh, quick comic covers from this era of Star Wars storytelling, not this era in terms of the publishing era, but this era in terms of the, when the story takes place. The cover of the first issue of Rebellion is great. It's got Janik Sumber there, you know, his left hand on his hip, his right hand holding up a blaster and behind him, kind of in a similar but not exactly the same pose as Vader with the meditation yeah, sphere opened up behind him. And then probably the best of these is number four, where it says a rebellion crushed from within, and it shows the its uh, tank standing there in his... Well, a variant mm -hmm. of the uniform that he has, because it's not exactly the same uniform we see him in in the, in the story. He's got a, a pistol in his left hand pointed down with smoke coming up from the barrel. His right hand has Luke's lightsaber and a torn piece of cloth with a rebel symbol on it. Leia's on the ground, uh, knocked out. We've got somebody a shot in the hand laying over the control um, uh, apparatus. And then you've got Akbar laying on the ground, and it sure looks like Akbar's got blood coming from behind his head and a blaster wound to his chest. At least I'm assuming that's supposed to be Akbar. Um, well, it looks like he's got one to his head, too. That's what I said, like that he has blood coming from his head and he has the wound to his chest, too. Um, well, the, the blood splatters across the actual console, but but he, his helmet's got a smoking hole. He's got one on his chest, and even Leia's got one on her ribs. But you also, well, some of the blood, at least, though, is, is below the console. It looks like it's coming from behind his head. So I don't know if that's supposed to mean that he like got shot, hit his head, and he's bleeding on it, or what? Because it 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 carries over the border of where that console is. Kind of a 
an odd way of setting uh, it up. But yeah, I mean, this and it's whole so cover, smoky. Yeah, you really got to have good light because my I had to put it into the light to see that little bit. I could only see the one on the top console. It is a glorious cover, though. Mm-hmm. Yep, very much so. And this is, of course, the era in which they really started pushing putting text back on the covers. Because I remember back when Star Wars comics never had stuff like a rebellion crushed from within, a broken alliance, a fatal choice, Lieutenant Janik Sumber, agent of Darth Vader, and such. You would not have seen anything like that on the cover of a Star Wars comic for a very long time. I, I remember when KOTOR was doing that, kind of having issue with some of them. Because, you know, I mean, it, I'm okay with it when the background illustration is great. When it's not so good, I'm like, eh. But the other one I liked was with Joran when he's about to choke Dina and she's got the uh, the M1 droid, the MB droid's uh, head in her hands and the Bakta tank's all shattered. I mean, that just... Granted, it's that weird over-muscular style again, but man, the viciousness of that scene just, I, I, it's, it's a great moment when that happened. You're just like, whoa, girl, get out of there. Like, I could imagine that in, in a movie form, like the creepiness of that. <laughs> and of course, this is another instance where I think like Dark Times, where with Dark Times, we kind of got this sense that, ooh, it's dark, it's weird, it's crazy. It had a what the heck kind of moment in the first arc. Even though those characters were kind of odd, we figured, it'll grow, it'll get better, we'll like it more, these characters will grow on us, and so forth. Um, this is just the first arc. It's going to turn out great. And then it turned out to kind of go, as time went on. I really, I, I can't express how much I'm, I'm not excited. I just find it, that series completely dull to me constantly. This Kirk arc is killing me, trying to oh. read it, because I really cannot... So far, Kirk has never done anything dynamic enough for me to like him as a character, except for wear the hat. Um, <laughs> at, but Rebellion was kind of the same thing, in that Rebellion's only going to get three arcs. It's going to be this, the Ahakista Gambit, and then Small Victories. And it's like the series hit its high point here, and then it just kind of peters out the rest of it. Or I guess it gets uh, its Small Victories, Ahakista Gambit, and it's part of Vector. Um, yeah. And it just kind of goes whop, whop, whop from here on out. Um, this was a storyline I was really interested in. I would really hope to see Tank back again at some point, that he would be the focal character of Rebellion, more so than Luke and the others, but that, of course, turned out not to be so. Um, well, I think that's the case when you go into most of these comics. You know, they, they give you enough preface that you come up with speculation. I mean, for me, with Krux's character in Dark Times, I'm more interested in how he gets into Luke's order and where they go with there. I'm, I'm kind of more curious about his journey. But so far, the execution hasn't been that great. And and that's the thing. It's like, you know, you got all this potential with the rebellion. And yet, if you only go a direction that isn't so grand, it will peter out fast. And I remember Vector, like, that wasn't supposed to be the end. That was just, oh, and by the way, Vector, that's it. But at least at that point, we knew that was it. I remember thinking back, um, I was looking through the last issues of droids and Ewoks and such with the Marvel run. And there really wasn't a lot of indication to readers out there that the Marvel stuff was ending when it ended. Especially the Ewoks and Droid stuff had no indication of it. Um, so at least at that point, we knew that there wasn't going to be another arc. Now, it's kind of things being announced on an arc-by-arc -arc basis. I mean, I thought Fire Carrier might be the end of Dark Times. Only for them to say, nope, we're going to have another one. A spark remains. And now I'm kind of crossing my fingers that a spark remains will be the end of Dark Times and such. And I'll be fine with that if they decide to write in Kakruk's character, the Verpin Jedi, and kind of have all of theirs wrap up. Because I don't really care for the back and forth because of the aspect of how easy it is for these comic series to be canceled when they do bad. And the the Daz Gen for me, the Daz Jenner arcs have been the weaker of the arcs. I, I'd much rather learn about how Kruk's doing. And I would hate for the Daz Jenner arc to kill off the potential to find out the other one, you know? Well, my hope is that the next arc of that will be like the next arc of Rebellion, which is, hey, here's all these characters we've had scattered about in different places. Now we're going to draw them together into one story. And that can be one of the last times that we deal with those characters again. But I guess we'll just have to see. But I guess that's not actually Rebellion. That's just, you know, we kind of went off on a tangent there as we are wont to do. That's uh, our Rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid, 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 stupid
that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you guys once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. Uh, you can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you guys go to www.audibletrial.com slash the Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com just to see what they're all about. With more than 100,000 titles, you can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the screen or adding a digital library, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark N. Whistler. And Nate saying, don't forget to check out Facebook.com slash SWTimelineGo. That's right. And thanks again for listening, and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we'll ever see Tank again. Please, please, please let there be good odds. Tank was a good character. Man, I gotta get better at these odds. to pump you up with our juicy rides in the post with a medical in action. <laughs> <laughs>